Welcome to the Davy Tree Expert Companies podcast, Talking Trees. I'm your host, Doug Oster. Each week, our expert arborists share advice on seasonal tree care, how to make your trees thrive, arborists' favorite trees, and much, much more. Tune in every Thursday to learn more, because here at the Talking Trees podcast, we know trees are the answer. I'm joined this week by Dan Herms. He is Vice President of Research and Development for the Davy Tree Expert Company in Kent, Ohio. And we have a very important subject today. We're talking all about climate change. And Dan, you've spent a lot of time researching this issue, right? I have, Doug. I've been um, actively researching climate change since the the mid-1990s, I guess. And that was way before a lot of us, it was on our radar. Talk a little bit about what you discovered, especially early on, on the changes that you've seen. I really kind of got into this by studying the um, phenology, the seasonal development of plants and insects in in the 1980s and uh, the relationship of of that to weather and climate. And during my PhD program in the late 1980s, I was studying the effects of drought stress on trees. And in 1988, it was a particularly hot year, very hot year, severe drought. Uh, and that was the year that uh, NASA scientist Paul um, or Jim Hansen testified before Congress about climate change and saying that it was already here. And that's when I really got on the radar screen of, of me and, and I think many other people. And that's when I started paying attention to it. I started actively researching various aspects of, of climate change in the mid-1990s. And um, when I became a professor at Ohio State University in 1997, I really kind of started to focus on that from point of view of, of studying the literature and uh, speaking about it. I joined the Ohio State University Climate Change Outreach Team and continued studies on the effects of, of climate on trees and, and insects and their interactions. I'll never forget that summer of 1988. That was a scary time. And at the time, I was just a, a home gardener, but running well water. And so I, you know, that was a, a, a definite wake up call as uh, uh, an awful year, uh, you know, with that drought. So in your research for Davy, talk about how you're approaching that as a scientist. Uh, and, and looking at the empirical data. So the Davy Tree Expert Company asked me to develop projections of how climate change would affect trees and the tree care industry and our operations over the next 30 to, to 50 years to you know, increase awareness, but also to help direct our strategic planning and, and um, moving forward. And so I've, spent a lot of time pouring through the thousands of studies that have been published on climate change to kind of synthesize the uh, and integrate the literature that's been published as it relates to trees in the tree care industry everything from tree health insect problems storm damage worker safety during hot temperatures um, the spread of disease uh, um, bearing insects hurricanes 
wildfire, all of these things bear directly on our operations. And it's important that this data is looked at from a scientific point of view, right? Right. We look at it uh, impartially, non-biased, very objectively. We look at it as a uh, maybe as a jury would in a trial. We're not trying to advocate for a particular position, for a particular policy. We're trying to understand what is happening. Look at the science, understand what's happening and predict, project what's going to happen because it will have impact on our bottom line. And I know part of it uh, from looking online, uh, the Davy website uh, includes an interactive zone map kind of predicting the future, and it was scary to look at, to tell you the truth. So on our on our website, davy.com slash climate, we have a, an interactive hardiness zone map, and this map can be used to show how, how the uh, hardiness zone is pro, pro, projected to change in any location in the, in the United States, any zip code, under different emission scenarios. So looking forward on how warm the climate is going to get, the biggest uncertainty in those projections is the future of, of greenhouse gas emissions. So we look at uh, different scenarios, a, a high emission scenario, which is kind of business as usual, and a low emission scenario, which would be more consistent with, say, the Paris Climate Accord agreements. And so you can look at that and see how the climate is going to change in your location. And it is kind of eye-opening. So, for example, Kent, Ohio, say even under a low emission scenario, Kent, Ohio and Northeast Ohio, where I'm located, will become more like um, southern Tennessee or northern Alabama by uh, mid to late century. Well, that, that doesn't sound good to me at all. That sounds absolutely awful. You know, you some people might think like, oh, well, We'll have this nice warm climate, but no, that's going to change everything. And I, and just from looking at some of your research, that we're already seeing a change in insects moving north, right? That that is correct. So insect species have have moved north. That's been well documented. An example is the southern pine beetle, which is a native bark beetle in the southeastern United States, which undergoes periodic outbreaks that causes a lot of mortality in the pine and it's not very winter hardy and so you know it never spread much north of say kentucky virginia but in the last uh, decade or so it's been detected in new jersey where it's killed pine trees and pine barren uh, unique ecosystem it's been detected in new york massachusetts it's made incursions into ohio um, the mountain pine beetle in western north america has spread up uh, into areas of high altitude in the rocky mountains where it never existed and it's moved north into northern british columbia causing massive mortality of the lodgepole pine in areas where it never existed because it was too cold so as the the summers get warmer insects could even have another generation right Yes, we've seen that happen as well. So as the seasons, as the as the summer gets warmer, the growing season gets longer, and that can allow insects to have more um, more generations to complete more life cycles during the year, and build uh, to bigger problems. So that's been 
documented in everything from spider mites to uh, there's an insect called oyster shell scale in northern Ohio it used to have just one generation per year. Now it has two. Fletcher scale, another example. Um, there's a number of, of examples of, of this kind of thing. As a scientist, as you're, you know, over all these years watching this happen, it's so scary, I guess, from my point of view. What is it from a, a scientist's point of view? Well, it it is kind of scary, you know, from day to day, year to year, you don't really notice much, but then all of a sudden 30 years have passed and you realize, you know, especially if you've been keeping records, that things are really different. And we're seeing this in, you know, earlier springs, um, changes in precipitation patterns, changes in the species composition. So which trees are growing in which places. So these are, you know, already being documented. And it's, it's scary because things tend to be adapted to the climate that they've experienced historically. And when that changes, it's, it's usually not for the, the better because they're, you know, they're adapted to, uh, if it's cold, they're adapted to a cold climate. If it's, you know, a warm area, they're adapted to that. And when it changes, it becomes drier. It becomes wetter, becomes warmer, uh, becomes cooler. It usually means the the organisms and the ecosystems are not adapted as well to the new situation. When we think about our trees, when you're looking at this, are there winners and losers as as the seasons change? Well, there certainly are winners and losers, and that that's a really good point. And so, what we're seeing is northward migration of tree species and even in um, say at the edge of, of, of the plain states in Illinois and areas like that we're seeing westward migration of tree species as precipitation increases and so these species that are migrating they're migrating into places where they're doing better but they're also migrating north and so at the southern edge they're doing worse they're stressed um, they're dying out and they're being replaced by species that are better adapted. And so this does mean there are winners and losers. For example, if you look at Maine, um, the spruce trees, the fir trees that are adapted to that cool climate are going to be the losers. The oaks and the hickories and the maples that are adapted to the warmer climate will be the winners. And this has important implications for deciding which trees to plant. For example, and, and tree planting is a really important response to climate change. But in 30 years from now, which is a pretty short period of time in the lifespan of a tree, the climate's going to be different. We have to select climate-facing trees that will be adapted to a location 30 years from now, 50 years from now, um, rather than trees that are, you know, adapted to a particular location today. So that leads me to what can we do? What can we do as as gardeners? What can we do uh, as, as people who love trees? Can we help? Can we can we make a difference? Well, certainly we can. And tree planting is a technologically very feasible thing that we anybody can do. Uh, if you have some space, you can plant a tree. And trees are great um, are great for uh, responding to climate change. So trees provide services, so to speak, that help 
mitigate the impacts of climate change. So trees store carbon. They remove carbon from the atmosphere. Trees cast shade that reduces, uh, say, urban heat, uh, which reduces the heating, air conditioning demands and energy use on the buildings. Trees intercept storm water and reduce uh, runoff into storm sewers. And so with increased precipitation, especially in the eastern United States, you know, that's an important impact. Trees filter air pollution. So trees do a lot of things that at the local level can help us um, adapt to climate change and increase resilience of our communities to climate change. And when I'm thinking about planting trees, in my case, in mid-Atlantic region, should I be thinking about climate change? Should I be thinking about what species I want to plant in regards to that? I know it's always, we always talk about right tree, right place, but then throwing this also into the mix? Yes, I, I think so. You know, the climate is, has been and will continue, at least in the, the foreseeable future, to be changing fast enough to impact, you know, trees that we plant today. Uh, 30, you know, 40 years from now. And so, you know, as we discussed with the hardiness zone map, that shows how the climate in a particular area is going to be different in mid-century to late century. And so when we select trees to plant, we need to think about not only what is that site like today, but what is that site going to be like in 30 years from now? And so we talk about planting climate-facing trees. Now I'm in Northeast Ohio. I like to think about, and I'll use a technical term here, what's called the climate envelope for trees. And the climate envelope is the, cl the climatic variables that determine what trees grow where. And precipitation and temperature are the two main um, drivers there. And so rainfall and temperature controls the distribution of tree species. So you think about how are those going to change? Kind of a relatively, I think, heuristic or simple way to think about it is look at the current distribution of trees and look at where we are. So look at trees that currently grow here. Now they're adapted, but they also extend farther south. And so they're adapted to warmer climates. So for example, red oak. Ohio is right in the heart of the climate envelope for red oak. So as, as red oak migrates north, you know, it will um, still be in Ohio for a long time to come. Hickory, fir oak, honey locust. Um, these are all trees for which uh, red maple, Ohio is very much in the center of their climate envelope. Those will be good choices now and they're good choices for many years to come. Other species like um, sugar maple, for example, not going to be a very good choice in Ohio 30, 50 years out. And that's such a shame because that's a tree that whenever I talk to an arborist and I ask them, you know, what kind of tree would you recommend, you know, and they always come up with sugar. They love sugar maples, but to think of that not being a mainstay in a place like Northeast Ohio is, is again, is, is scary. Now, if we all got on board, could we change this, do you think, or is it too late? Well, I, no, I don't think it's too late. I think, I think we can change it. 
And, um, you know, I think we need to get busy and it's going to require, you know, a number of things. Just tr planting trees is by itself is, is not going to do it. Um, you know, an aggressive reforestation program, eliminating deforestation in the, in the tropics, in the Amazon, for example, this could solve, you know, 10 to 15% of the problem. So it's going to require reducing emissions of greenhouse gases, changing land use, making buildings more efficient, reducing um, greenhouse gas emissions from transportation sectors from electricity generation. It's going to require a multifaceted effort. And then it's probably going to require removing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere in the future. That technology doesn't really exist in terms of mechanical methods. Trees right now are the way to do it. So in 20, 30 years, do you think we'll be like, oh, I'm so glad we listened? Or is it going to be, I wish we listened to Dan and his his research because he had it all laid out for us? Well, and of course, other people have it all laid out for me. So, you know, I'm, I'm understanding the science as it exists. But I think the answer to that question will become apparent in the next five to ten years. If we're going to, you know, reduce emissions, the goal of the parent Paris Climate Accord, for example, is to limit warming to about three degrees Fahrenheit. We've already experienced two degrees of that. And, you know, there's already more warming baked into the system. So if we're going to meet that goal, we have to respond very quickly, reduce greenhouse gas emissions by about 40% by the end of this decade, and reach net zero in terms of carbon emissions by 2050 mid-century. That's going to require some aggressive action. But anything helps. You know, if we can't limit it to three, four is better than five. Five is better than six. Six is better than seven. But when you're getting up to five, six, seven, that's getting pretty extreme. I want to finish off by asking you what it feels like to be able to spread this message because this is an important message to tell people i have to assume it feels good in a way but also you know it's sad in a way too i do a lot of speaking about climate change i i, I focus on you know kind of the the causes um, the consequences that we're already experiencing and the solutions and i think the solutions can provide some hope. Uh, public awareness is increasing as more people experience the impacts of severe weather. For example, they see it firsthand, hurricanes, wildfire, flooding, and so forth. Um, I try not to relay a message of gloom and doom, but my message is realistic. I talk about things that have, that have already happened. So I'm, I'm not laying out, you know, very pessimistic projections. I'm talking about what, what has happened and, um, the, you know, the very likely um, scenarios as we move forward. So it is, you know, I, I, I do find it rewarding to help inform people, motivate them to take action, to support policies, 
to contact their politicians, their representatives, you know, to um, help, you know, all of us work together to solve this big problem. Well, Dan, I know you've motivated our listeners and you certainly every time that you and I talk motivate me. And I appreciate the great work you're doing and also appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for spreading the word. You're welcome, Doug. A pleasure to speak with you today. That's very important information for sure. Next week, we get a much-needed pruning lesson about spring flowering trees and shrubs. We'll find out the exact time that job is done and how to do it the right way. Tune in every Thursday to the Talking Trees podcast from the Davy Tree Expert Company. I'm your host, Doug Oster. I'd love it if you'd subscribe to the podcast. Where else will you have this kind of fun, right? As always, we like to remind you on the Talking Trees podcast, trees are the answer. 